this is our third week in our capital stewardship campaign called Multiply. This is such an exciting time to be part of Axis Church. Yes, the world can be challenging and hard at times. Yes, there are times where it is so discouraging to see the moral tide around us pulling people away from the shore of truth. Yes, we have our own personal pain. But I still believe that Jesus Christ is the answer. I still believe that every challenging problem has a solution in King Jesus. And I still believe that the church is the bride of Christ and the hope of the world. I still believe in him. And everything that we do here at Axis has one singular goal, to revolve the world around Jesus one life at a time. And I'm so proud of you guys. You have done a really good job as a church family being good stewards of what God has entrusted to you. We have rented three different facilities as a church since our beginning. We've made good financial decisions with what's been given. We rented the daycare center for the first year, and we had a storage pod out the back door where we put all of our equipment, and every Saturday we would pull everything in, and we would set up church from the chairs to the sound system to the nurseries. And then the second year, we moved to the movie theater, and we stuffed all of our supplies in a couple of closets. We literally rolled the stage to the front of the theater every Sunday early, and we set it up, and then we tried to tear it down before movies started. And then we moved to this building. And what a blessing it has been here. We have transformed this building from literally an empty warehouse to a place of worship, fellowship, teaching, coffee. Amen. But friends, always in the back of my mind, I wonder what might happen in the future. We have a beautiful relationship with the owner, Muhammad, but I always knew that it was his property and he always had the option to sell. And because we were renters, we were very, very careful about how we, what we did to the property. We wanted to make good investments, uh, but we wanted to make it functional, but we also were very careful and for years, literally, we have prayed, both as a leadership team, as a staff team, and then me personally. Oh, Lord, would you let us, if it's in your will, have the opportunity to purchase this building in the future? Allow the timing to be right. And in the middle of those prayers, a dear friend of mine called and donated a large seed gift to Axis Church. And I told him when he told me that, I said, we're going to use that gift to help us purchase the property in Mason. And he's an emotional guy. And he said, now Axis Church will be able to have a home. And we're going to be able to do some needed renovations as well. And, and friends, I just want to tell you, it is such a blessing to be here at this time and in this place. And next Sunday, we have a night of worship and celebration. November the 19th at 6 p.m., we're going to worship in this room. We're going to hear a fantastic message. We're going to eat city barbecue while our children are being safely cared for in Kid City by volunteers from the Middletown campus. But you need to be here. And this week, I sent you a link in the email that you could just click on that and fill that out. And I was excited to see the response because I said, fill it out right now. And 24 of you did. And that was exciting <laughs> for me. But there's a lot of you left. And so as far as I'm concerned, you're all going to be there. Uh, but I do need to know a head count so that we can buy the right amount of food. That night, 
we're going to be bringing our commitment cards. And at the end of the evening, we're all going to make our pledges. And they're going to be in two parts. Part one will be from now until December 31st, 2023, from now to the end of the year. The goal is $200,000 by the end of the year, and that money will help us acquire the loan and reduce the premium. Part two will be from January 1st to December 31st, 2024, and the goal is to raise $200,000 at the end of that year, and that'll be needed for the renovations for the property here and also the monthly payments. These commitments are above and beyond our regular giving, but guys, in order to reach these goals, it's going to take every one of us. Every person, from the youngest to the oldest, every gift, from the largest to the smallest, everything matters. Now, I know that making this kind of a commitment causes all of us to have a little bit of fear and intimidation, and it requires a significant amount of trust in the Lord. Maybe if you guys heard, back in the 19th century, there was a tightrope walker named the Great Blondin, and he would walk across Niagara Falls, and he would walk across, and he would tell everybody, do you think I can do it? And some people would say yes, and some would say no, but then he'd walk across. And then he would come back, and then he would do something even more spectacular. And at one point, he even took a stove and pushed it out to the middle of the tightrope, and he made an omelet on the stove, and he'd ask people, how many of you think I could do that? And more people said yes, but some were still unsure. And then he took a wheelbarrow, and he pushed it across. And by this time, a lot of people were like, yeah, you can do it. You can do it. He was like, do you believe me? They were like, yes, we believe in you. And he was like, how many of you believe that I could push somebody in this wheelbarrow? And everybody's like, yes, we believe it. We believe it. Like 100% of the people. Until he said, well, I need a volunteer. And then every hand went down. There's a difference between belief and trust. The people believed he could do it. They just weren't willing to trust it. And, and belief is a mental thing. Trust is an action. Belief is relatively simple. Trust can be extremely difficult. And, and the question that many of us are facing, perhaps for the first time, is can God be trusted? And friends, listen, if the great Blunden asked me to take a tightrope across Niagara Falls. I, I may believe it, but I would not trust him. But I do trust the king of kings. I do trust the king of the great Blunden. I trust Jesus Christ. And when he says, when you give, I'll be faithful. I'll give in return. I'll bless you in return. It's a matter of faith and trust. John MacArthur one time said, we trust God with our eternal destiny. Why can't we trust him with our daily needs? And so as we're all processing this, I thought today I would just walk you through kind of a process that I take in my own life, my own mind, when it comes to trusting God with giving to him. Let me just give you these and hopefully they'll be helpful to you as you and your family think about your commitment. The first thing is to pray. Prayer shows a submissive spirit and a willingness to yield to God's plan. Pray specifically for the Lord to reveal to you what his will is. Pray that he will direct you. Pray that he will lead you in how to accomplish his will and how he will work in this project. You can't pray too much. Colossians chapter 4 verse 2, Paul writes, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Pray as a family. Pray that the Lord will use this as an opportunity to not only accomplish the goals here, but more importantly, to accomplish something in your own life. That God will increase your faith and your trust in Him. So pray. Spend time. Just, God, what would you have me to do? Number two, count your blessings. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. 
Everything you have is a gift from God. God's given us so many good gifts. You guys agree with that? I mean, do you have eyesight? That's a gift. Do you have dexterity in your fingers to be able to work? That's a gift. Do you have a good occupation? Do you have leadership abilities? Do you have the ability to sell something? Has God given you a family? Has he given you sufficient clothing? How about a nice warm bed at night, a roof over your head? Some even have more than one home. These are all gifts from God's hand. Reflect on that. Think about his numerous gifts to you. And guys, I'm so thankful for what God has given me. I've been so blessed to have been raised in a family home where God was praised. I have so many blessings. Family, good friends, opportunities, a good church family. I feel so fortunate to be here at such a time as this. And this is such an exciting place. And I'm so deeply thankful for this church and such a loving group of believers. Are you guys glad that Axis is here? And we have so many things that take place for every age group. There are activities for every group. Kids City, uh, Abide for Young Adult Worship, Axis Student Community for our high school and junior high students, community groups, softball, amen, worship, Bible studies, and lifelong friendships. Many of you have made life-changing commitments here. Others have seen friends and family members experience dramatic changes in their life here at Axis. Others of you, when you needed a friend the most, you were able to call on someone from this fellowship to pray together and cry together. Others have needed counsel with the pastors or the prayers of God's people. Others of you have buried loved ones here. Some of you have been married here. Many of you dedicated yourselves to raise your children in godly homes here in this place on baby day, and you lined across the stage. Now we hear those same children running, they're walking through the hallways singing, Waymaker, Waymaker, Miracle Worker. Many of them have been baptized here. Aren't you glad that this place is here where you can find refuge and strength in the midst of a stormy life? Amen. Listen, please don't misunderstand me. Axis Christian Church did not change these people. Jesus Christ changed them. Axis was simply the vehicle that God has chosen to use to touch their lives for such a time as this. It is good to be a part of this wonderful fellowship of believers right now. Count your blessings. Now, cultivating a spirit of thanksgiving and counting your blessings is pretty tough in a critical world. And it could be really easy for each of us to pick things that we don't like about the church. And, but I'm so proud of you. We do not have a spirit of, of a critical nature here in this church. We may not always agree on every detail, but we unite together in one purpose to help as many people as possible know and experience the love of Christ and to be changed by him. The church is full of a lot of people who absolutely refuse to focus on the negative and who would rather spend time counting their blessings. Part of your process needs to be to count your blessings. Number three, remember that God owns it all. You remember the story in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 where God wanted the Israelites to build a temple? And David, as the leader, was the first to give, and he announced his commitment to the people so that they would know his level of commitment. And then all the leaders gave, and then the people gave. And what they gave was a tremendous, tremendous abundance of gifts. And that humbled David. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 verse 14, he said, who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? 
Everything comes from you, God. And we have been given only what you, what comes from your hand. David looked at the incredible gifts that were given, and all he could do in that moment was think about the greatness of God and how good he had been to even bless the people. He was saying, God, you own it all. And friends, we are stewards of what God has given us. When you put that into perspective, it's so much easier to let go because you realize God's given his best to us. William Hendrickson in his book, Disciples Are Made, Not Born, tells about a family who was driving down the road one night and it was raining and there was a family that they passed that had a dad and a, and a mom and a little baby. And they pulled over and they said, can we help you? And they said, the lightning storm has taken out our home and we're walking two miles to get to my sister's house. The only problem was that this family of five, they were in a Volkswagen. I know, now you think this story isn't true. How can you get a family of five in a Volkswagen? But they certainly had no more room for anybody else. And so the dad just reached in his pocket. What he had was $20 and he handed it to them and said, I hope this helps a little. They went on their way, but it wasn't very much longer until the dad realized, I think we have more to give. And he asked his family, does anybody else have anything? And they all pulled together what they had, his kids and everybody. They came up with an extra $100 and drove back and, and asked the wife, do you still have that $20? And she said, yeah. He said, okay, let me have that. And she was perplexed. And then he put that $100 with the $20 and he gave it back to her. And he gave the entire amount to her. And he said, we would love for you to have this money. That's exactly how God treats us. He gives us so many wonderful gifts, and then he just comes back to us and says, will you trust us? Will you trust me? Will you give back to me, and then I'll bless you in return? You got to count your blessings, but you got to remember that God is a good father who wants to give to his children, and when we're giving back to the Lord, we're saying, God, we trust you, and then God in return is giving back to us as well. Number four, Remind yourselves of God's promises regarding generosity. Are you wondering what kind of commitment to make and how will you do it? One way to do it is just remember what God's promised you. In the Old Testament, God said, if you give in abundance, a tabernacle will be erected. If you each work hard, then a wall can be built. And then he says to each of us, if you will join hand in hand and arm in arm and each of you give sacrificially, this will be accomplished. So give. Give abundantly. There's so many promises in the scripture regarding generosity. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Proverbs eleven twenty five: A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Malachi three ten: Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see that I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for it. Or Luke chapter 6, verse 38, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure that you use, it will be used for you. And you know what it's like in the fall right now where you get those leaves and you rake them up and you put them in a bag and you think, well, that looks pretty full. But then you shake it down and you press it together and then you put more in there and then you realize, well, there's more room in here and you shake it and you press it together and then eventually the leaves are overflowing. God says, if you live generously, I will see to you that it's given back. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. 
Not long ago, I had a chance to talk to a couple of our kids about this principle, and I shared with them a very personal story that impacted us a lot a few years ago. We made an investment in a property that turned out to not go so well. It's a much longer story. But in the end, we not only had to pay a significant amount monthly for it, we also had to pay $50,000 to improve roads and sewers at this development. We had no choice but to pay it. The problem was that we were in the midst of a building campaign at a church that we were serving, and we had made a $30,000 commitment to that campaign. And the human side of me was filled with a lot of fear in the middle of that. How in the world can we even make this commitment in the midst of this difficult situation? Well, we made the commitment, and we stuck with it. And in my ignorance, because of the scriptural promises, I kept thinking that one day, God would just write me a $50,000 check, and I would go out to the mailbox, and there it would be, and all of my problems would be solved. And what I learned was that God doesn't exactly work that way, much to my disappointment, I think, at the time. And, and so I just continued to pray, and it wasn't very much longer before we were able to buy a little property and put a little work into it and flip it, and we made a little bit. And then we bought a property that we were going to build a house on, and well, that was right at the start of Axis Church, and so we didn't... That was in a different part of town, and so we weren't going to build on that anymore, and I got a chance to sell that. We made a little bit on that, and, and it should have dawned on me right then, but it didn't until a little bit later, that you take the money from that first flip, and you take the money from that little property, and that made just about the $50,000, and God is so good, and, and I know that story can be told over and over again by a lot of different people, and maybe it's not always financial. Maybe sometimes he... He blesses you by lowering an expense or sustaining an appliance or protecting your health or keeping your car out of the shop. I, I don't know. God blesses in his way and his, in his time. But when you remind yourselves of God's promises regarding generosity and you then trust him with that, you just got to trust you with what I'm giving you that, Lord, you're going to take care of me. It's the one area of your life that you're able to test him in. God said, test me in this area. I'll give it back. Number five, and I know this is a lot of points, but I got a lot to say. Number five, evaluate your own financial situation. Everybody's financial situation is different. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, each man is to give what he has decided in his heart to give. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2 said, on the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. So consider your financial situation. Don't evaluate others. Evaluate your own situation. Don't compare yourself with others because each one must personally decide what to give. Don't even compare yourself with the way you used to give because you might be in a different situation than what you were in in the past. In order to accomplish this goal, it's going to take every person making sacrifices. In this campaign, I believe there will be two or three who will make a commitment to give $50,000 to meet this goal. They'll cash in a stock. They'll give through their company. They'll sell a possession. There will be four or five who, can't, who, who give $25,000 over the next year to this goal. There will be 10 or 12 who will give $10,000 or more to meet this goal. They will sacrifice a trip that they wanted to take, or they will put off a purchase for a year that they wanted to make. There will be many who give 5000 in addition to their regular giving. We're going to be cha challenging even the youngest among us to give to this. 
We're going to be asking our children in Kids City to give to add a window to the preschool upstairs so that there's light that'll come into that space so that even the smallest among us will learn about the value of giving and sacrifice. But understand something. It's different for every person. It's not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. The point is, only you and God can determine the amount that you give. So think about what's reasonable, and then think about what's sacrificial, and then take a step of faith. Uh, We were considering a few uh, months ago, how will we give to this campaign? And it looked like we didn't know what was going to happen and how we were going to give. And lo and behold, we had a lot of unexpected expenses. Uh, Rebecca had a baby on the way and some hospital expenses. Hannah had a wedding on the way and some wedding expenses. And then on top of that, we had college and thought, God, what, what can we do? And Lisa said, perhaps we could buy a little property and try to flip it again. This is not a good market to be able to buy and sell like that. And then I remembered that my mom had sold me a couple years ago a little rental property that we had, and that thing was ending up costing us more than it was uh, giving us. Uh, There was things that were breaking and uh, things that need to be done and another HVAC bill of $1,700 and things like this. And I started to think on a Thursday, you know what, we could take that. And so by Friday, I let our renters know and gave them 60 days, and, and then we started doing renovations, and then we were able to sell that property, and that, that's going to help us pay for Hannah's wedding and save a little bit for taxes and provide for a new baby, and, and lo and behold, take care of all of our children who are back home right now. Amen. All right. And uh, it just happens, and, um, and uh, that's the way it is, but, and it's going to help us to be part of the campaign commitment, but not only that. We have to think personally about what can we give above that next year on a monthly basis to the campaign. Now, that's our story. You'll have your own story. There are people all over this place that are praying about their commitment, individuals who for the first time in their life have placed their financial portfolios in the hands of God rather than their accountant, couples who for the first time have laid in bed and prayed for this church and have uttered the names of friends and loved ones who they hope will come to the Lord. Parents who for the first time have communicated to their kids that it's more important to give than to receive. Don't miss this. There is something happening, not just in this church, but in the hearts of all of us. As we think about, God, how can we trust you more? Number six, examine your heart. If you were to commit that amount, would it be prompted out of a pure heart? Are my motives right? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, Each one should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I like the little fifth grader in Christian service camp who memorized that scripture once, and she quoted it incorrectly. Each man should give, not, rep- not repulsively or under convulsions, for God loves a cheerful giver. But the, the Greek word actually for cheerful is the word hilarious. That's where we get the words Hilarious. And, and, and I just think that when we give, we should give cheerfully. And sometimes when you give, you, you start laughing. You're like, I don't know where this is going to come from, God, but whatever. And, and uh, we just are going to enjoy this moment. But I think we should be joyful. I, I think we should do it not reluctantly. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10 says, Give generously to the needy and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. So don't give with a grudging heart. Let's say in your office that you have a Christmas party coming up and it's a gift exchange and you get a name of somebody that you despise 
and there's a $20 limit. And so you think, I don't really even want to give to this guy. But you go to a local fast food restaurant and you get a gift card for 20 bucks, put it in an envelope and just kind of hand it over to him. When he opens it up, that gift, do you think he's going to say, oh, I am so touched by your gift of McDonald's. I don't know how you can be so thoughtful. No, that is under compulsion. He knows it's reluctantly given. We don't give that way. When a farmer throws out seed, he doesn't begrudge the seed. He rejoices over it because he anticipates a harvest. And when we give to the Lord's work, it should be cheerful, but because we know that God ultimately gives the harvest. So examine your heart, not, not your tax records. That'll be just merely a commitment of your mind. Don't examine your neighbor or what somebody else is doing because you're in a different situation than they are. You must examine your own heart. Ask these questions. Do I really believe that there's a need? Is my gift an appropriate expression of my income? Or is it more of a last minute, unplanned, get it over with act? Have I prayed about it? Or is it impulsive? Am I genuinely joyful about what God's doing and will do in my life through my giving? Do I believe in the mission of the church? Number seven, then glorify God by your generosity. Once you make your decision, give joyfully because God's going to be glorified in this place and in this city. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. It's an over, overflowing and expression of thanks to him. Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. Psalm chapter 115, verse 1 says, Not to us, O Lord, but to you and to your name be glory. Friends, our goal at Axis Church has always been to honor King Jesus. It is not about my name. It is not about Josh's name or your name. It is about the only name that can change a person, the only name given under heaven by which we must be saved, the name of Jesus. Listen, remember a time when you didn't have much, but you sacrificed. Did you regret it? No. Did it scare you a little bit? Yes. But wasn't that fun? Wasn't that just delightful to be able to give to something that really mattered? And you look back and you say, I didn't starve. Chances are good that you were still able to, to live rather well and be sufficiently clothed. God has done so much for us. And he gave so joyfully to us. The scripture says that when Christ came and he died on the cross, it was for the joy that was set before him. And can you just imagine our Father in heaven? When Christ came to the earth, maybe there's a smile that came across his face when he came to a manger and lived as a man. And even when he faced the cross and thought of dying in agony, what spurred him was the joy that was set before him. And can you imagine the shout of joy from heaven when the resurrection occurred? Raised from the dead, that's my son. And how about when the father welcomed him back to the throne? I would imagine the greatest joy possible surrounded that reunion. And you know what? There's an endless source of joy for us, and that joy is found in Christ and Christ alone. In him we have found salvation, the greatest act of sacrifice ever, and for all of us, there is no way we can outgive our God who gave the greatest gift of all time. And so we give in response. There's an old legend about a village in Spain that learned of a king that was going to come and pay a visit to the people. 
Now, in a thousand years, no king had ever come to that village, and the excitement grew, and the anticipation was there. And they said, we need to have a celebration. We need to have a big party. But the people didn't have a whole lot of resources, and so one guy had a novel idea. He said, let's have everybody in the village bring a large cup of your choice wine to the town square, and we will all pour it into a large vat, and when the king comes, we'll offer it to him as a gift and sacrifice. The people lined up with their containers, and they poured in the contents. And the next day when the king came, they handed him a silver cup, and when he took a drink, he found out that it was nothing more than water. You see, every villager reasoned, I'll withhold my best wine and substitute water. With what so many cups of wine in that vat, the king will never know the difference. The problem was, everybody thought the same thing, and the king was greatly dishonored. I can tell you what Satan's going to whisper in your ear this week. The church will never miss my sacrifice. Don't sweat it. Please understand, when you make your commitment next weekend on Sunday night, you're not coming to meet a man-made goal. You're coming to honor the king. And it will take all of us, every one of us making sacrifices, every one of us together, from the youngest to the oldest, saying we want to do this together. There's a scripture in Ephesians chapter 3. It's one of my top five favorites. It says, now unto him, who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God has given us the opportunity to respond back to him. And so this week, pray. Count your blessings. Examine your own heart. Examine your own financial situation. Think about God's promises that he's given you in the scripture. And then when you come, Come joyfully, come sacrificially, and come ready. Next Sunday night is going to be a celebration, I'm telling you right now. God, we're just so thankful for what you have done for us, how you've given so much to us. There is no way that any of us could ever repay or even attempt to repay the great sacrifice that was given by Christ. But God, we give in return because you're, you teach us. You teach us the heart of a giver. And so, God, we respond to you. And in this moment, you increase our trust and our faith in you. We take a step beyond what we thought we could do. And we say, God, we love you. And we want, God, not just the goals to be accomplished at Axis, but we want your goals to be accomplished in our own lives. And so, God, we look forward to that great day and that celebration. And we look forward to your blessings. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's praise him for what he's done.